I'll be honest, as a small business owner, one of my least favorite things about being a small business owner are the financial things like the budget, the taxes, the fees, all of the when it comes to just like the minutia of the money stuff when it comes to being a business owner, it is not my strong suit. I will be honest, I hired a bookkeeper and an accountant and I have an amazing husband who's a financial advisor who helps me with all those things. But it is just, it's hard. A lot of the day-to-day grind of being a business owner and all of the paperwork and the financials, like that can be really difficult for some people. And when you get into the nonprofit sector, you add an even more complicated layer of things. And so many nonprofit owners that I know struggle with this because it's not why they got into being a nonprofit director or running a nonprofit. That is not why they got into it. They got into it because of a particular issue that they care about or something like that. And so my guest today saw this particular issue as a need that she knew she could fulfill for so many nonprofits. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, a nonprofit director, or a community leader, or just an amazing person who's trying to change the world, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Stephanie Skrzowski, the founder and CEO of 100 Degrees Consulting, which helps purpose-driven leaders better understand and use their financials to make smart decisions for their organization so that they can do more and serve more. She's also the creator of the Master Your Nonprofit Numbers, which is an online course in financial management for nonprofit leaders. Now, I know when we've talk about numbers and financials, it can seem like it might be really boring. But let me tell you, my conversation with Stephanie was awesome. This girl is so smart. She's so funny. And I loved hearing her story of how she kind of took a roundabout way into getting into the industry that she's currently in. You are going to love this conversation with Stephanie. So without further ado, on to my chat with Stephanie. So Stephanie, you are a financial person and I am not. Uh, But my husband is a financial advisor. And so I feel like, so my husband edits my shows and I feel like he's going to like either really relate or he's going to be like, I don't know what's happening right now. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I know you spend a lot of time in the nonprofit world. Um, My husband is a financial advisor for those who are planning for retirement. So it's obviously, it's like a similar world, but also very different. (laughs) Yes, similar in that we both love numbers. Yes, and I love that in your bio, you're like, when she's not working on Excel spreadsheets, and I'm like, do you know how many Excel spreadsheets my husband has? It's a lot. Yes. Like, is that That's all? My life. Is that all financial people? Like, do just all financial people love Excel? I think so. I think our brain just works <laughs> in Excel, and so it just feels like home. <laughs> Because seriously, I I kid you not, like sometimes people don't believe me when I'm like, no, no, no. My husband has a spreadsheet for everything. Like he has like a and then and then he has like spreadsheets within spreadsheets. So like he has his life tab or his life spreadsheet that has like nine tabs within it. Like. (laughs) 
I think your husband and I would get along very, very well. Um, I'm just thinking like a while back, my friend and I were planning a picnic for uh, just us and our husbands, like literally four people. And I created a spreadsheet for it because you got to plan. You got to have the food and the quantities and the shopping list. And yeah, I'm a spreadsheet person. A spreadsheet for a picnic. That's amazing. Uh, Last year when we went on a Disney cruise as a family, I was really overwhelmed with the packing because I had to pack for basically everyone except for my husband. Um, But, you know, it was packing for me and both children. And we were going on the Halloween cruise. And so I wanted to make sure, like, I didn't forget their Halloween costumes. Plus, like, you know, it's a Disney cruise. So you don't want to forget all of the, all of the, like, Disney princess dresses and all that stuff. And so I created a massive packing list spreadsheet. And then I even created, like, a section for my husband. Like, here are the things that you should remember to pack. And I remember I sent it to him and I color-coded it and everything. And I'm not a spreadsheet person and he was like I don't think I've ever been more attracted to you in my entire life (laughs) (laughs) you found the key to his heart the The true key to his heart (laughs) I just need to apparently make spreadsheets anyway so we're not going to talk about spreadsheets or anything like that this entire time but I just thought that was uh I just loved that little bit of your bio when (laughs) but anyway um so Stephanie Skrzowski Tell me all about you and how you got to where you are today. Give us the Stephanie 101 and just kind of dive right into how you really got into starting 100 Degrees Consulting. Yeah, so I think um, like a lot of people, my path did not start out. My path was not straight in order to get here. So I'm going to back it all the way up to seventh grade. Um, I went on a field trip to visit a courtroom and I became obsessed with the idea of becoming a lawyer. And so I read like every single John Grisham book multiple times. And I just thought like I was going to be a lawyer. I had my life planned out. I'm very type A. I was like, okay, here we go. So I went to college with every intention of still becoming a lawyer, had the poli-sci major. I did an internship um, in London City Hall. And... um, and, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. Here we go. So I got a job. Um, I had a job lined up right after college at a massive law firm in New York City. Think like 50-story skyscraper, very glamorous, in Times Square. And started that job. And probably three months in, I was like, I don't think this is right. This is not for me. Mm. Um, I was not feeling fulfilled. I was like, what am, what am I even doing? Who are these people that I'm helping? Um, but the problem was that I didn't know what else to do. Um, so I, I kept pushing forward because I make plans and I'm not one to like let down on a plan very easily. So mm. I took the LSAT. And when it didn't go very well, I did not do as well as I had hoped. I I started backing off the plan saying like, okay, I think there's something else out there. I don't know what it is, but I think there's something else. Um, I didn't know how to figure that out. So I started just like looking at what jobs were available um, online and ended up just getting out of that law firm and working as a corporate meeting planner. And as you can imagine, um, that really didn't feel so fulfilling either. Um, (laughs) But one thing that stuck out at me was while I was at the law firm, I was helping one of the partners there with this nonprofit organization that she had created um, called Global Partnership for Afghanistan. And when I was there, she had me doing things like, um, you know, funder and prospect research and donor acknowledgement letters and just, you know, really sort of administrative things. But it sort of clicked something on in my brain that like, 
there's something here. There's like a little bit something more. And so after that corporate meeting planner experience, um, there was actually a position open at this organization um, that, that worked in Afghanistan. And so I took it and I was like, I think I've found something. Um, so I was an operations, you know, coordinator, which for everyone in the nonprofit space, you know that anytime you have to word like either operations or coordinator, that means you're going to be doing pretty much anything and everything in the organization. And so I did um, everything from helping with fundraising events to the accounting and bookkeeping and financial analysis and, and things like that. And um, it was really on my first trip to Afghanistan um, about 12 years ago now that I just had that light bulb moment that that this is it. Um, and so I had never been, I'd been outside of the country, but just to Europe and, you know, like uh, Mexico and things like that, but never to the developing world. And, and so it was there, you know, that I was so far out of my comfort zone um, because not only was it the developing world, but it was Afghanistan, mm -hmm. um, a country that has been ravaged by three decades of war. Um, and that frankly, at that time was not really all that safe um, for Westerners either. So, so I was so far out of my comfort zone. Um, but it was there that I really found the light bulb moment um, that I was like, okay, nonprofit, this world where, you know, I am making an impact on something no matter how small um, is for me. And so I, you know, I started really focusing on the finance and the accounting side of things. Um, Math has always been a strong suit, so it wasn't like this was totally, um, you know, totally out of the blue. I thought I, maybe I would major in math in college, but I didn't want to be a math teacher. So um, so it came naturally to me. So after that organization, I was there for a few years. Then I moved on to another organization um, that also worked globally in seven different countries around the world. So Nepal and Haiti and Nicaragua and a handful of countries in Africa. And so I got to spend a lot of time on the ground in those countries as well. And even though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like the program officer. So directly impacting the people that we were serving or directly building the schools with my bare hands, I still was able to feel that connection to what I was doing on the finance side to ensure that these organizations were financially sound and sustainable and they were going to be around for the long haul. Um, I just, it just really was like, okay, this is my calling in life. I really feel like I had that light bulb moment. So how I got to 100 Degrees Consulting, um, so I worked at this organization around the globe for several years. And um, while I was there, you know, I had gotten married. So on the personal side, I got married and my husband and I were starting to try for our first baby. And uh, it was not coming easily. And, you know, the doctor's appointments led to eventually going through um, multiple rounds of IVF mm. over the course of several years. And once we finally got pregnant with my daughter, um, I was like, I don't think that I want to spend so much time in the office. Um, I want to be able to be home with my daughter, but I, I need to be continuing to create this impact on the world. Like I have been for the past, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I think that this was just a hunch in my head. I was like, I think that there's nonprofit organizations out there that are big enough that they need some sort of financial oversight. They need somebody with an eye on the numbers, but they're small enough that they don't have anybody in house or maybe they don't even need anybody full time yet. 
So I was like, I, I think there's something here. I think I could help organizations in more of like a fractional part-time way and then still be able to balance what I want to, you know, what I want to be for my daughter. Um, so I made GuideStar my best friend and just started digging through searches of organizations, looking at the size of organizations, who they had on staff, um, what their sort of historical growth trajectory was like. And I had a huge spreadsheet for that, trust me. Um, and, and just started reaching out to organizations via email saying, Hey, executive director, so-and-so, I think you may need some, you know, sort of finance support. Can we talk? Yeah. And that's how I got my first four clients. And so we've, we've really grown, um, as an organization from there, um, because I think that we, we really did hit on something that there's organizations that need this financial oversight that is not like a, a board member, um, and that is not a bookkeeper. It's like that CFO level that organizations just don't have, but they really need it to, um, to really be able to grow and make sure that, like I said, they're going to be around for the long haul. So that's kind of the long story of how I got here. No, I think that is absolutely incredible because you really, you say that it wasn't a straight path, but yet a lot of the skill sets that you gained along the way are so helpful because in the nonprofit world, you know, since you have, you know, a legal background, there are so many legal like nuances to running a nonprofit. And so that the fact that you have some of that knowledge in addition to the financial savvy and a love for Excel spreadsheets, that really does combine to an incredibly unique and specific skill set that a lot of people, most people don't have. And I serve on the board for quite a few nonprofits and and have over the years. And that is like number one, that is one of the biggest struggles that the nonprofits I've worked with have is somebody either on staff or on the board or just somebody to come in and help with the financial side of things. Because let's be honest, and this is very similar to a lot of small business owners as well, is their skill set is usually very specific. And you don't usually have like a person who's financially savvy who's like, I'm going to start a nonprofit or a business, a person who is like really great at delegating tasks. Some like sometimes it's just like you either have an idea or you're a creative or there's like a specific niche that you are interested in. And so you go and you start this nonprofit or this small business, but then there's all these other skill sets that you need that you don't have. I can't even begin to say how many businesses I've interviewed who they do not have a business background. I know. And I feel like, yeah, people sort of fall because we don't, nobody has these straight, you know, paths in life. We all sort of have this winding journey and we fall into something and discover our, our passion. Um, but, but we don't necessarily have that sort of full portfolio of skills. And I mean, I, you wouldn't believe how many, not, I mean, you probably would actually, yeah. how many nonprofit leaders that I talked to that just sort of fell into their role, yes. that, you know, there was a vacancy and yeah. they were the, you know, most senior program person. And so it only made sense. And now they're like, wait, what, what balance sheet income statement? I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so much. It, yeah. It, that kind of stuff makes my head hurt. I have a bookkeeper. I have an accountant and I don't even touch that stuff. Like I don't even look <laughs> at my QuickBooks. Like I just, I mean, I 
periodically do. But let's be honest, like that is not my skill set. That is not my strength. And so I have somebody else to come in and do that for me. Um, you know, and even in, uh, you know, my marriage, like my husband is so much better at that's just like that's his strength is setting the budget each month and, um, you know, planning our retirement and, and where we're going to save and invest and all those things. He is so much better at setting all that stuff up. I mean, we are obviously completely on the same page and we communicate about those things, but I just trust him with that skill set. And so I just go, all right, yep, I'm on board. Let's let, let's do it. Um, so I just yeah. I just love that you've taken that skill set that you have and you've, you're using it to, you know, impact up these organizations that are doing so much good because um, it really is such a unique and niche thing that people uh, people are in search of I think there's so much fear around money as well mm -hmm. and um, people are just really uncomfortable with it and so we avoid what we are uncomfortable with we you know we don't take the time to immerse ourselves in things that make us uncomfortable I mean I think that's sort of human nature um, and so you know and so these leaders are you know running an organization not comfortable with the numbers and sort of avoiding as much as possible um, and so I think that you know part of what what I try and do as well is just help leaders become more comfortable with the numbers and it doesn't mean that like I'm trying to make everybody be an accountant um, but like just how you said you know how you communicate with your husband and you know you're on the same page I think that that is so important important um, because I think it's just very easy to retract from things that we are scared of. Yes, absolutely. I think fear, not I think, I know fear is one of the biggest things that holds us back from, you know, growing in our business, growing in our marriage, growing, uh, making new friends, whatever it is, like fear is at the root of so many different things. And so I mean, I always say this too, like when I teach classes or workshops on, you know, blogging or podcasting or whatever it is, um, I always say hire where it hurts. I, I did not co coin that phrase. I don't even remember the first place I heard it, but it's just like hire where it hurts, wherever it is in your business and your nonprofit, whatever area of your life you are struggling with, or you feel like you're falling behind or whatever, hire somebody like there is somebody out there that that is their skill set <laughs> like pay yeah. someone else to do it and I think so often we are just afraid to ask for help because we feel as though if we are asking for help or if somebody else is doing something for us then we are somehow weak or we are somehow a failure or we are somehow less than when that could not be more further from the truth exactly yep I was listening to, or I am listening to Shonda Rhimes's book right now, Year of Yes. Um, it's so Love good. That. Yes, it's so yes. good. But one yeah. of the things that she talked about was like this illusion that women especially try to portray. And that's like the, that they can do everything and that they don't need help. And so the, the woman can work and they can raise the kids and they can take care of the household and plan the meals and do the grocery shopping and all that stuff and that they can do it all. But the fact is, is that like they can't like we, no one person can do all those things and do it well. And so like at what point are we just going to say like, look at, you know, these successful women and they're going to say, yep, I'm successful 
because I work hard, but also I have somebody who comes and cleans my house. I have somebody who does my grocery shopping for me or like my kids are have a nanny or my kids are in daycare or whatever it is. Like at what point are we going to stop like portraying this illusion? But that's so often like the thing in business too, or in nonprofit work is, you know, somebody has to portray this like, oh, I've done it all on my own when it's like, no, 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 you have a team of people if you're really successful, you have a team of people alongside you who use their skill sets well. Exactly. And I feel like um, I've just been, I've learned that that lesson since having a daughter, um, having my, my baby, I, I mean, that's like the ultimate wake up calls. Like yeah. I literally do not have the physical capability to do it all myself. Um, but I think that, you know, you're limited by your own capability. And I mean, there are some pretty superhuman, amazing people out there, but like at the end of the day, we really only have 24 hours and yep. to, to make an impact, um, and actually less than that because we need to sleep. And so the only <laughs> way to really grow exponentially, which I think is what we all want to do in our businesses in our nonprofit organizations, the impact that we're having on the world, we want that to grow. Yeah. The only way is to, is to bring in help. And, you know, especially for very driven type A people like myself, um, it is very hard to sort of step back and admit that you can't do it all because I was one of those naive pregnant women that was like, okay, so here's how it's going to go down. Once I have my baby, like I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to work when she's sleeping. You know, I thought I had it all planned out and it's just very, very humbling. I think to get to the point where you're like, nope, I am not superhuman. I cannot do it all myself. And if I want to, succeed and have the impact I want to have at that sort of global level. Like, yeah, it takes a village. Yes. Amen to that. Now, in your experience, since you launched 100 Degrees Consulting, is there a particular story of a nonprofit that you've worked with where you've really seen, you know, directly how partnering with this organization has you know, either impacted them in a certain way or if they've impacted you, something like that? Yeah. So I think um, organizations that I really love working with are those that are on a growth trajectory and they have, you know, grown to a certain point and it's usually a few million dollars in revenue. Um They've grown to a certain point on their own and they've built a pretty good team um, and they have an involved board, but they don't have the sort of back end strategic financial piece. Um, and so they're ready to take it to the next level. They're ready to go from like 3 million to 6 million or 5 million to a $10 million organization over the next couple of years. But they really need the the eye on the numbers. And most organizations usually have they usually have a bookkeeper or an accountant, somebody who is keeping the books, paying the bills on a regular basis, maybe running the financials, um, you know, on a monthly basis. They have somebody usually doing their audit and their 990. But what's missing is that person to to take a look at historical financials and then forecast out what is our growth trajectory or revenue look like over the next three years. 
where are some risk areas in terms of revenue diversification? So are we getting a big chunk of money? Are we reliant upon one or two donors for most of our most of our revenue? Um, what does our cash flow look like? And are we able to make strategic investments in human resources and other things that we need? Um, based on our cash flow. And so because those aren't things that you can easily just like run a QuickBooks report on, um, organizations aren't doing them because they, they probably they don't know exactly what numbers to look at. They don't know exactly what to do. And so that's when they find me um, and find the company and say like, okay, can you help us figure out if we can add like three new people next year? Because I'm not really sure like how to you know, how to handle that. Or, you know, we're trying to figure out when our event should be based on cash flow needs, but I'm not really sure how to, you know, how to map it all out. And so, so where I feel like we kind of add the most value is being able to answer those strategic questions that don't come from just like a quick export from, from QuickBooks. And so, yeah, it's those growing organizations that have had some, you know, a really good run so far and now are ready to just up level big time. I'm sorry to break from this super fun conversation with Stephanie, but I just wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, which is The Root Collective. Now, The Root Collective is no stranger to this show, as Bethany Tran, who is the founder and owner of TRC, is one of my nearest and dearest friends. And of course, she was a guest really early on. I have been a huge supporter of The Root Collective for years, and you can pretty much always see me wearing their incredible shoes. I'm actually wearing my Espe booties as we speak because they're the ones that I wear the most often, but also they are the most complimented shoes that I own. And the fact that those compliments lead to a story about how my shoes are ethically made, empowering communities, and investing in change through job creation is one of my favorite things about them. So... To get your own pair of the Root Collective shoes, you got to go to stillbeingmolly.com slash TRC and use the coupon code PURPOSE20 for 20% off your order. Guys, this is exclusive for the podcast just for you. So go to stillbeingmolly.com slash TRC and use the coupon code PURPOSE20 for 20% off. Now, back to my chat with Stephanie. I think one of the things that I have seen so often, at least in my experience, like being on a board or volunteering with a nonprofit is there's, there, there's like this disconnect between like the vision of a, a nonprofit and like the impact that they want to make. And a lot of times like nonprofits will have like all these goals and they'll have these like whiteboards and all these things with like the things that they want to do. But then there's like a disconnect between uh, we don't have the money in the bank to do those things or we are too focused on fundraising or we're not focused on fundraising enough or like we're not thinking about the financial side. And like there's this, this disconnect. Um, do you find that that is the case a lot? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad you said that, because um, one of the things that I see all the time is that these organizations have amazing strategic plans and yes. they, you know, oh my gosh, the strategic whole... plans, so many strategic plans. They do. You know, there's a whole strategic planning retreat. And, mm -hmm. you know, we put so much energy into creating this plan that then often gets printed out into a fancy binder and then sits on, you know, sits in someone's desk for the next three years until we realize that we need to do it again. And the strategic plan is 
so often not connected at all to the budget. And so we have all these things we want to do, but then we have no resources to do them because we never made the two talk to each other. And so I talk about that all the time, how we have to make sure that we are aligning our resource planning, which is our budget with our strategic plan, because, you know, like you said, it's nothing's ever going to happen if we don't have the resources to, um, I'm literally giving you a sound of (laughs) like round of applause right now. Like I need to like, just clip that and like send it to all of the nonprofit directors of the boards that I hear the nonprofits I work with. I'd be like, I love you. And I'm sending this to you in love. Like, please listen to this. Yes. Cause that's so often like my frustration is like that you're not getting the two talking to each other and I don't know like why that is and I get that like a lot of nonprofits are like we want to do all these things um and then I'm like you don't have money to do those things (laughs) well I think um that's so true and I think what people do though and it's you know this is a, a very common situation that I see is we first figure out like okay um, what's the impact that we want to have? Okay. So that then is sort of put into a little vacuum over here. And then we say, okay, well, how much money do we think we can raise this year? And we say, okay, say $2 million. And then we basically try and cram in all of the expenses that we need to accomplish that impact into this $2 million budget when that's completely unrealistic. And so I like to advise organizations to start with the resources, start with what you're going to need to accomplish those objectives, to make that, imp- and then sort of back into the fundraising number, like then figure out how you're going to get the money um, rather than, you know, trying to cram expenses into some sort of arbitrary cap. And I think that's why so many organization leaders are just so burnt out and exhausted and overwhelmed and overworked is because we don't allocate ourselves enough resources to do and accomplish these really lofty and amazing goals to have the impact that we want to have on the communities that we're working with. Yes, girl. Yes, girl. Preach <laughs> it. We are having we are having nonprofit church up in here. Yes. Oh, yes. I love it. Um, well, before we transition to just asking some more fun, get to know you questions, um, are there any like pieces of advice or kind of like little tangible takeaways that you have learned over the years in working with lots of nonprofit organizations that like if there is somebody who is either interested in starting a nonprofit or isn't already or is an already established nonprofit leader? what would you say to them? Like, what are some of the things that maybe they don't think about often enough that they should be thinking about? Yeah. So I think that the word budget itself gets sort of a, you know, people kind of turn up their nose when they hear the word budget, like, uh, we got to do the budget as if it's just sort of, um, an obligation, a box to check off. It's just something we have to show to the board. Um, but I really like to encourage leaders, whether you're a brand new leader starting a nonprofit or a very seasoned leader um, leading an organization. And this also goes for for-profit um, organizations as well, because we do work with purpose-driven businesses too. So this goes for everybody. The budget is a tool. Um, the budget is a tool to help you sort of figure out the timing of things. When do we need to um, 
to make certain investments? When do we need to bring in money? When do we need to spend money? Um, the budget is a tool that helps with sort of sequencing and planning throughout your year. It's a roadmap that is connected directly to your strategic plan. So if I, I think if we can sort of wash away this thought that like the budget is just some stupid obligation that we have to check off and really reframe our thinking that the budget is a tool and a roadmap that's going to help us get from where we are right now to where we want to be a year from now, um, I think that can be game changing. Um, you know, I've brought on and started working with several organizations that didn't have a budget at all. Um, and so just being able to map out on a monthly basis and be able to show them um, some sort of, you know, vision into the future of like, hey, I can see in black and white on an Excel spreadsheet what my organization is going to look like a year from now um, is pretty game changing for for leaders. So I would say that that is huge. Um, and then the other piece, the other sort of piece of advice that I would give to organizations, again, new or, you know, very seasoned is think about your cash flow. Um, so cash flow is not a report or, I mean, there is a statement of cash flows in your financial accounting system, but that's not really what I mean. I mean more of a cash flow forecast. Um, and so map out when your cash is coming in and when your cash is going out. And here's why. So even if right now you have a super healthy bank balance and you, you, you know, you log into Citibank and you're like, oh yeah, we're good for a while. I don't have to think about it. I've seen organizations go from, oh, yeah, we're good for a while to, oh, my gosh, we can't make payroll because they just weren't paying enough attention. And I don't you know, I don't say that as like a scare tactic, but I think it's a really key piece of financial management. And um, I think it was the nonprofit Times published an article a few months ago that said um, that the majority of nonprofits are are teetering on financial peril were the, were their words. And that was like, whoa, wait a second. And what that article said was that 50% of nonprofit organizations have less than one month of a cash reserve. So wow. if a couple donations didn't come in the next month, like you're probably not making payroll. So, so like I said, I don't mean to be sort of scary, but it's true. There's a lot of organizations that just aren't paying attention to their cash flow. So if, if they're able to sort of map out month by month when money's coming in and money's going out, um, I think it gives leaders such a greater peace of mind. I can't tell you how many nonprofit EDs and CFOs or CEOs I've spoken to that are like, I am literally losing sleep at night because I'm worried about the money in the bank. Um, so that that's my second big, big um, piece of advice is to really manage your cash flow, pay attention to it beyond just looking at the bank balance, really forecast it out so that you have some future visibility to make sure that you're not one of those organizations teetering on financial peril. <laughs> wow, that is such a good piece of advice. And I just really pray that um, anybody listening that that is you know, something that maybe you've struggled with or you haven't, you know, really thought about that you are doing that. Yeah, because that I, I definitely see that. I would agree with that statistic that there are so many nonprofits that are just hanging on by a thread. Yeah, and go I ahead. just think about like we all are in this space, whether it's whether it's a nonprofit or a purpose driven business, because there's something in our heart that, you know, we want to make an impact on the world. We want to serve the, you know, communities, people, animals, whatever it might be. 
that our organizations are serving. And we can't do that at the highest level um, to the best of our ability if we don't have these sort of this like foundation of financial management and sustainability in place. And so I think that for us to really be fulfilled as people and living out this impact that we want to have. I just, I think that that the financial foundation is so important. Yes. Amen to that. Um, All right. So Stephanie, this has been so much fun. Uh, But now is the portion of the show where we get to just ask some fun, get to know you questions. Um, And as everybody knows, this is also the portion of the show where my husband inserts a TV clip or a movie clip or something. I don't know. He just always inserts something to hopefully make us laugh. Or <laughs> you know. uh, So, Stephanie, are you ready? I'm so ready. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot. But uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. First question. If you got stuck in an elevator and you were forced to listen to only one song, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. Um, (laughs) That's a great question. I think it would have to be something long, like a long song, so it's not just three minutes over and over again. Like like all of Freebird. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know what I think it would be? And it's got to be something chill, too. It can't be too, like, in your face or I think you would just go insane I think it would be Dave Matthews band crush oh girl I knew we were best friends Dave yes. is my jam me too um I've oh. seen Dave so many times and here's a funny thing is so my husband and I are very similar in a lot of ways he hates he doesn't hate Dave uh he might hate Hate might actually be the word. He very much does not like Dave Matthews. And I love Dave Matthews so much. And I'm always like, you're so weird. Why don't you like Dave? <laughs> who in our, especially in our generation, like right. who doesn't like Dave? Doesn't I thought like it was Dave? just a rite of passage that you had to have like attended a dozen Dave Matthews yes. concerts from high school to college. Yes. Oh my gosh. And yeah, you know, you, you would definitely need a live version of Crush that's like 17 minutes long with like Carter just jamming out. Like <laughs> you just need. Yes. That. That's what you need. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Totally. And you know what? <laughs> I was, I was thinking about, um, I was like, what, what crazy questions is Molly going to ask me? And I was thinking, okay, something might have to do with like first concert because I heard you ask that one before, yeah. and that was going to be Dave Matthews. Yes, and I was going to tell you that I had literally seven foot tall posters of Dave Matthews, like three of them, oh in my, my dorm room at college. So like his face was literally like basically my wallpaper in college. I, it was a little much. That's amazing. Um, Okay, so now I have to have a quick conversation about Dave Matthews. Okay, so if you're a Dave Matthews fan, you will appreciate this. If you're not, then you can just listen to this for a a couple minutes and then you can move on with your life. Uh, So I have seen Dave quite a few times, but the best concert I ever went to. Well, okay, maybe it's a tie. So one is I went to the live recording of the live in Las Vegas of Mm. Dave and Tim. So it was like just Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. So I was there 
at the live recording, like the, the version you hear on the like CD that I was there. Um, so that concert was really amazing. Um, but the other one that I would say is up there is back in, oh, I guess it would have been 08. Was it 07 or 08? I think it was 08, fall of 08. Um, Dave and Tim did a, he did the, they did two free rock the vote concerts for like getting people out. Cause this is, yeah, this is like ahead of the 08 election. And so they were promoting like just getting out and voting. And so they had like voter registration, all this stuff. So they did a free rock the vote concert in Richmond. And then they did one, I think in Chicago. Um, so it was free tickets, but you had to like camp out for them basically. Now I was a high school teacher at this point. Now I had a couple of seniors that were, I mean, you have to also have to realize I was like 22. Okay. Or 20. Oh wait, I was 23. So I'm 23 years old and I have a couple of, you know, 18 year old high school seniors, certainly five years younger than me, uh, right. but they were all Dave fans too. And they were like, Miss Buckley, this is my main name. They're like, Miss Buckley, you gonna go camp out? You gonna, are you gonna camp out for Dave? And I was like, um, yes. So like, I <laughs> camped out for Dave Matthews tickets with some of my high school seniors. Oh my gosh! Um, and you probably went up like a million notches in coolest oh, teacher ever for sure. Um, and so yeah, so we camped out like we were like near the front of the line so we knew we were going to get the tickets um and our tickets ended up being ridiculously good seats dave and tim played for four hours four hours there was no opener it was just them they played for four hours and it was in the vcu seagull center and i yeah and it was a free concert like and i we had really good seats because we we camped out real early it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. I will, I'm, I do not regret it. It was really freaking cold. Uh, and I was camping out all night, but it was so oh worth it. Oh my gosh. That is awesome. Definitely top five. That's yeah. so cool. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So moving on from the Dave con, con, uh, conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is something weird that you recommend everyone tries at least once? Oh my gosh. Like food or like anything, 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 an experience, a food. Oh my gosh. This is such a good question. (laughs) Like I'll give you an example. So my friend, I have not done this, so I am stealing this from a friend, but I was talking, like I was asking this question. And so one of my friends just did one of those, uh, those like float things where you like float in like a cube yeah, Do you know what I'm talking about? That. It's like yeah. a it's like a sensory deprivation thing where you like lay they fill it with like insane amounts of salt and so you just float and then they close this it looks like a big egg and you like get in it and you float and there's like these blue lights that are on for about 10 minutes and then they shut them off and then you lay there and float for 90 minutes in complete darkness and silence and I'm like I would have such a claustrophobic like panic attack but she said you don't she's like I thought I would too but she said it was like so relaxing but I'm kind of terrified to try she's like everybody needs to do it at least once so like that's like an example (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't think that would be for me either, the claustrophobia (laughs) thing, but I've also heard that like, it's pretty cool. So I haven't done it, so I can't recommend that. Um, I would say, I'm just thinking about some of my travels because I've been to some pretty, um, off the beaten path places. That's kind of what I was thinking you would say. Yeah. I think that everybody needs to eat something like totally weird and like something you probably wouldn't eat at home. So I'm just thinking about an experience in, um, 
Well, there's, I can probably think of like five experiences, um, but one of which was in Malawi mm-hmm. and I was with um, a handful of colleagues and we were like driving through the sort of back country of Malawi on these roads that weren't really roads. They were just sort of beaten down paths through fields. Um, and there was a, a little side, um, like a little stand by the side of this road and they were like, oh, let's get a snack. And I'm like, okay, snack. That sounds great. Um, you know, not even really putting two and two together. Like, okay, what are we actually having for a snack right now? It's not going to be like some Pringles and a Coke. Like what are, what is this? Um, and so they handed me this skewer, um, that had been roasting over the fire. There are a bunch of these skewers with this sort of, um, long piece of what I thought was meat, um, sort of strung onto this skewer. And they're like, here you go, go ahead. And I'm like, okay, thinking like, I'm not quite sure what this is, but I'm just going to go for it. So take a bite of this. And, you know, it was like kind of tough, just meat that had been on a grill. And so I found out afterwards, what is that? Um, It was goat intestines that had been strung onto the skewer and and toasted (laughs) up for us. And I was like, okay, yeah, definitely would have said no if I knew what it was. But you know what? It makes a really good story. And now anytime somebody ever does like two truths and a lie or anything like that, I can always say like I have eaten goat intestines. Oh, my gosh. So I would say mm. I would tell people to get out of your comfort zone. I am a huge proponent of getting out of your comfort zone and trying things that feel super uncomfortable. And so eat something that you wouldn't normally eat. Goat intestines are a hard pass for me. That's a hard pass. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was <laughs> as you were describing it, I was like, no, no. Like I have a friend who's been to Thailand. I've never been. And like some of the things that she's eaten when she's gone, I'm like, no, I would like I would literally never. Like un- I, I don't know how much money you would have to pay me to eat like a scorpion or like these like goat eyes or whatever it is. I'm like, Mm-mm, nope. <laughs> Uh, but I know they're like, yep. I've been served um, field mice before. That oh. was one too. And it, you know, it looks like a mouse and it still has hair on it. No, so. no. Oh <laughs> okay. Okay. Ah! Um, that's a good story though. It does. It does make a good story. Okay. Uh, this is a fun question. What is something that most people are obsessed with, but you like, you don't get the point of it? Oh my gosh. I've never seen an episode of friends what? or the bachelor in my life. I know. What? Never. I my I've mouth never is, seen an episode of Friends. My mouth is literally agape. Like, and you live in New York City. Wait, or you did? I did. Yep. Oh my gosh, I'm my mind is blown right now. That is actually mind blowing. I mean, one because Friends is like one of my favorite shows of all time, and I've literally seen every episode multiple times. Um, I can quote like half of them, uh, like have them memorized, and then same with The Bachelor. Except I will say. Colton season which is the current season that's on right now it's the first season that I like I'm not watching it um and I don't know if it's like an intentional choice or I just I don't know I just have no desire to watch this season um yeah but I've seen other than that I've seen every season of the bachelor and bachelorette and bachelor in paradise and like bachelor pad all those shows that's my guilty pleasure <laughs> right that I feel hilarious. like I should be kicked out of my own like generation no. for not having seen either of them <laughs> No, it's that is very shocking, though. I'm not going to lie, because, yeah, you're definitely in the minority, which I mean, like, in some ways, I'm like, that's a that's a really cool, unique fact. But also what <laughs> um, you need to now go on Netflix and you need to watch Friends at least at least. 
Um, all right, Stephanie. I know. <laughs> all right. So this is my last question and it's the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what are you most grateful for today? Um, I, I think I'm most grateful for, um, for my daughter and my husband. I'm, I'm going to take two there. Um, my husband is just so incredibly supportive and proud of me and sort of whatever I do. And so as I've been growing the business over the last couple of years and, you know, raising our daughter together, um, he is just my, my rock. Um, and then my daughter, of course, she was long awaited and she's just the joy of my every single day. And so, um, yeah, I'm just so incredibly grateful for both of them. That is wonderful. I love it. Stephanie, this has been such a joy, such a pleasure to have you on. And I am so grateful for you sharing your wisdom and experience. Um, and I know it is going to be so helpful to so many people. Thanks so much, Molly. It was so great to chat with you. I hope Stephanie's conversation inspired you today that no matter where you are in your business, in your career, that if there is a passion that you have, or if there is a vision that you have for your life or how you want to make an impact, it doesn't matter at what point or what stage you are at, you can do it. I loved hearing how Stephanie just kind of began working in law and then really found out that she had a passion for working nonprofits over the years. So I hope that this really inspired you to pursue something that just drives you and makes you come alive. I would also just love to know what you loved about this episode or maybe share something with me that you learned. And you can do that by letting me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another huge thank you to our sponsor of the show, The Root Collective. Don't forget to go to stillbeingmolly.com slash TRC and use the coupon code PURPOSE20 for 20% off your order. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you are subscribed. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review, pretty please? Leaving a review of the show just helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. This show is edited by my incredible husband and executive producer, John Stillman, with support from Mark Haywood. And the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.